Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, my partner Ravinder is here in the studio with me, so Ravinder, say hello to everyone. Share your special insight for the day. And tell everyone how they can learn more about our show. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm not sure about special insights of the day. I think during corona and the recovery from corona, I just say hang in there. This too will pass. Um, yeah, the, things are going to be good. Summer's coming. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. That's what I say. Um, do remember we have a Provocative Enlightenment Radio page up on Facebook. Uh, so if you have any questions or anything, do pop in there and jot down your questions. Also, if the guest has any special information they want to share, any orals or anything, that is where we will be posting it. So do come join us. That is the Provocative Enlightenment Radio Facebook page. I'll be there. So if you want to chat too, I'm there. All right. In this week's Spotlight, I want to discuss doubt. There are very many religious leaders who instruct us that faith arises only when doubt exists. That is, there is no such thing as faith in things known. Faith arises only from things unknown. Still other religious leaders and spiritual teachers instruct us that doubt is the denial of faith. Doubt is to be vanquished and the word of God should replace it. Indeed, Doubt is the work of the deceiver, for as stated in Romans 14 and 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Indeed, the Bible is full of quotes attacking doubt, as we see in James 1, 6 and 7. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, Clifton Fadiman, editor of Britannica, is credited with saying, And God plagued man with the ability to think. Pause and think on that statement for a moment. It is when we think, when we evaluate claims critically, when we allow doubt, instead of just accepting whatever we're told to believe, that some would say we sin. When I look around at the world and differentiate the various species inhabiting the known world, it becomes readily clear that humankind possesses something unique, the ability to think to reason, to interpret information, and forecast potential outcomes. So is Fadiman correct? Are we plagued by this ability? Or, in the alternative, is it a gift? Each of us must decide for ourselves whether or not thinking is a gift or a plague. 
Personally, I opt for the gift interpretation. This means that I regularly question everything from the statements by authorities regarding current matters to the philosophical arguments surrounding metaphysics, epistemology, and axiology. In my mind, not to do so is to ignore the gift that sets humankind apart. And if, as also stated by so many spiritual teachers, we are uniquely created in the image of God, then unless the lizard is also in the image of God, it is our thinking intellectual abilities that distinguishes our uniqueness, our image, from the rest of the animal kingdom. In my mind, doubt is essential for each of us to ever come to truly know anything. We are ourselves, otherwise the blind, being led by the blind, accepting a path that we can neither see nor understand. For me, it has been reason that has led me to have faith. It is practical reasoning that has convinced me that faith is knowledge built from alternatives and shored up by the pragmatic outcomes. Those are my thoughts. What do you think about doubt? How about you, Ravinder? What do you what, what do you think about doubt? You know, for me, I think doubt and questioning is one of the best gifts I've ever been given. You know, I come from a very religious background. <clears throat> you're taught to do as you're told. Um, but I was always questioning even the very basics. I remember asking myself about what everything means when I was just five years old. Um, but having the ability to question, I think, you know, if spirituality is what's important to you, when you can question and you can choose good for yourself, I think that's worth a whole lot more than doing good because your teacher or your priest or your elders have told you to do so. And you have the ability to, to do a whole lot more. I think people get stuck in boxes, uh, you know, enculturation, we've discussed that so many times. Enculturation just, you know, confines you into boxes and you actually think that you're being a good person, but you're not looking at things afresh. When you look afresh, you can do more, you can reach higher. I agree. In fact, I think the first fundamental, if you will, to thinking is questioning. Absolutely. Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last show featured Ingrid Newkirk, and we discussed her ideas and new book, Animal Kind, Remarkable Discoveries About Animals and Revolutionary New Ways to Show Them Compassion. Jonathan wrote, loved your interview with Ingrid Newkirk. I bought her book right away. Thanks for the show. Marilyn wrote, wonderful show with Newkirk. I learned a lot. Thanks for the show. Moving on, Richard wrote, I just glanced at your archives, radio archives, I think he's talking about. Man, oh man, you guys are just amazing. What a truly wonderful thing it is that you do with your show. Jan wrote, Dr. Taylor, I want to personally thank you for all the years of intertalk messages that you created and that I have enjoyed. They have made me more confident and more able to focus academically and compete in athletic events. I like the fact that I can use these in my car or with headphones at night. My sincere appreciation to you. Well, thank you, Jan. I appreciate that much. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your feedback, so please keep it coming. You can opine by sending me an email 
at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your comments and suggestions. Now to today's show. Never letting go, heal grief from the other side, with Mark Anthony. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Mark Anthony, also known as the Psychic Lawyer and or Psychic Explorer, is the author of the award-winning, critically acclaimed bestsellers, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go. He is a world-renowned fourth-generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. Mark is an Oxford-educated attorney, licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. He is featured regularly on television, major talk radio shows, and in print media. The media is referred to him as the Psychic Indiana Jones, due to his extensive background in science, quantum physics, survival of consciousness, near-death experiences, history, archaeology, philosophy, and theology. Okay, on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Mark Anthony. Thank you, Eldon. It's really great to be here, and uh, thank you, Ravinder, for, for inviting me to the show. Well, we're glad to have you, that's for sure. We like to know three things on this show, Mark, so um, I'm, I'm going to approach those this way. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? To that end, when and why did you decide to spend your life as a psychic explorer? Well, I was born a psychic medium, so I came into this existence without a choice in that. Um, the only choice I, I look at it is whether to embrace those abilities. Because this... Being a psychic medium, both my parents had these abilities, and it runs for generations. We've tracked it back into the 1890s. And the thing is, Eldon, I'm the first person in the family to go public with it. My father was a Navy SEAL and a NASA engineer, and my mother was a commercial illustrator and a fashion designer. So, you know, we were a mainstream type of American family, more or less, and so when I started manifesting my abilities as a, as a young child, my parents spotted that right away, and they also said, it's okay, Mark, but let's just talk about it amongst ourselves, because people outside of the family won't, won't necessarily understand. Give me an example, if you would, Mark, of the, uh, an experience that you shared with your parents where they said, okay, you know, let's not share that with the rest of the world, please. I was, I was probably about about four and a half, five, and I started talking to the, these energies, these spirits, and I started describing this for my mother. And I remember she and my dad looking at each other, and and my mom was like, "He just described." They called her Big Nana. And uh, she was my maternal great-grandmother, Giovanna. Um, and Giovanna was, was a very highly developed psychic medium. And she died um, probably maybe, just, maybe I was a year or two old when she died. So I, I don't have any recollections of, of uh, Giovanna. And then I started describing other people. And my parents realized that I was communicating with spirits. 
they they saw when I was around three and a half that I was doing this, and they they were pretty sure that that was going on. But when I started identifying and describing people, and I remember describing like this aftershave that my um, mother's father used to wear. It was Old Spice. <laughs> I was like, it smells like that. I was like, the the stuff Dad just bought. And so my parents realized that that I was perceiving spirits. And the reason, Eldon, that my my parents didn't want me talking about this is my my mother's family. They were they had emigrated from Italy. In fact, um, there was a special on PBS a couple of years ago called The Italian Americans. It was a uh, two part special, and they actually had an entire segment on Giovanna, and she was known as the woman who knew things, and she was highly regarded in the Italian American community of North Jersey and, and New York City for her spiritual gifts, and she was actually um, treated with the respect of a reverend mother of a, of a, like, you know, of a Catholic convent. Right. And so my mother's family looked at this as a gift from God, whereas my father's family, they were very conservative uh, Baptists from Pennsylvania. And even though a lot of people in the family had these abilities, it was sort of a hush-hush thing. And his sister, Marjorie, uh, who was an incredibly gifted psychic medium, she was uh, committed against her will forcibly to a mental institution and subjected to electroshock therapy yeah. because of her abilities. And it, it's really quite, it's a really a tragic chapter in my family's history, the way Marjorie was treated, because um, if you indulge me just for a minute, she had saved her husband's life. He was about to go to work one day. He worked at the steel plant in in um, Pennsylvania. And before he went to work, she had this horrible premonition. Her stomach hurt, and she said to him, you can't go, you can't go, something terrible is going to happen. And they had a big argument. Finally, he said, fine. Well, that day, a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams, and he worked in a machine shop. And as the crane was lifting the steel beams, the cable snapped, and it crushed the machine shop that he worked in and killed everybody there. And oh, so wow. presumably if he had been at work, he would have been among the people that have been killed. Well, he was extremely religious and conservative, and he saw her not as someone who saved him, but someone who's doing the work of demons. And so he arranged to have her forcibly committed to this institution, and they subjected Marjorie for over a period of six months to force the electroshock therapy, cold water treatment, until she never again, for the rest of her life, mentioned seeing spirits. I think what they did is they damaged her brain and uh, the part of the brain that controls the um, adjustment of frequency to tune into the other side. So when I started manifesting these abilities, I remember my father saying, Mark, people who see things other people don't get taken away. And that was a very frightening thing for a little boy to hear. And Amen. then he explained to me, he said, your mother and I understand, but other people don't. I got you. Uh, that's, that's quite a story, quite a remarkable story. Listen, you know, the scholarly world, and, and I understand you, you know, do some teaching in elite universities, the scholarly world generally rejects the whole idea of anything short of a materialistic uh, uh, universe. I mean, you know, we, we are meat machines that evolution is, you know the whole story, Mark. 
Absolutely, yes. And 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 you are interacting with that world. Uh, what's that like? Certainly, there is traditionally, Eldon, the the scientific world since the Enlightenment, since uh, Sir Isaac Newton's been has been in the materialist reductionist camp. And what that means is that there is no supernatural, there is no God, there is no afterlife, and that everything in the universe can be explained through the physical laws of science. And that um, basically the subatomic world basically goes down to the atomic and it's just a miniaturized version of our world. And science has been on one side of the moat and spirituality and faith have been on the other, and both sides have frowned upon each other. The uh, spiritual community looking at the scientific community either as you know, non-believers, atheists, or heretics, and the scientific community looking at people as indulging essentially in mythology and uh, primitive superstitions. But since the advent of quantum physics in the early 20th century, we're now beginning to see that what people of faith have been saying about the soul, the consciousness, pre-existing the body, coming into the body, and then moving on after the body and staying coherent is not inconsistent with the laws of physics. In fact, uh, Dr. Michio Kaku, one of the originators of string theory, recently said that eternal life doesn't violate the laws of physics. So in the past century, and most certainly in about the past 20 years, we're now getting quantum physicists who are saying that it appears that the electrical field in the brain, which Eldon, you or I could call the soul, the spirit, the consciousness, um, the electro, uh, electronic field in the brain certainly doesn't die with the body because energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. And with all due deference to Sir Isaac Newton, he's one of my heroes. I mean, I, I really admire Sir Isaac Newton. He was also limited by the technology of the day because we now know that the subatomic level goes to an even smaller and more unique level, which is quanta. And so we now know that atoms are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons, which in turn are comprised of electromagnetic energy known as quanta, and that everything, you, me, the vibration of our voice, the rays of the sun, the water in the ocean, the space between the stars, is at the most basic level electromagnetic energy. Okay, I have to I have to send this by you, <clears throat> and and maybe you know maybe you don't know, but the theory of dissipative structures uh, talks to us about how a dissipating structure actually reorganizes at a higher, more sophisticated level, in time. The brain, electronic, as you say, is basically somewhat analogous to radio waves. I mean, at the same time, it is our consciousness, that activity. It is also emitted beyond the skull of the head. That's Otherwise, we wouldn't have EEGs, etc. You understand all that. Correct. Okay, a radio wave goes out. <clears throat> And that radio wave somewhere begins to dissipate. Somewhere, we believe. Uh, and, and we have radio waves that are now over 100 years old. So all these brain waves that are traveling out there that theoretically would be subject to dissipative structures, 
are they reorganizing at some higher level? Are they a part of what we call the collective unconscious? What's your take on that? My my observation and my experience in conducting over 15,000 readings for people where I connect them to loved ones on the other side is, well, first off, there's a distinction between, let's say, um, a radio... Um, a radio wave from from let's say a program like this. Okay, so so our conversation is going out and it's it's dissipating, whereas the soul, the spirit, is a concentrated form of electromagnetic energy that appears to stay coherent. But let's assume for a moment that the the dissipation theory is correct. This also is analogous to the work of biocentrism, that we are not these these bodies. In other words, we try to look at ourselves as a body, but we know that when we die in the electromagnetic field and our brain continues on, and then it can reorganize and reattach to a new host, in other words, a fetus. And this has been proposed, and actually this is from one of my lectures that I give on reincarnation, that this would be the scientific explanation for reincarnation. Interesting. I like that explanation. Let me, let me ask you this. You, you heard the spotlight. Um, what's your take on doubt? Uh, what did I get wrong? I don't think you got anything wrong. You cannot have faith without doubt. And doubt is part of the journey. In my book, Never Letting Go, in fact, that's one of the chapters is about doubt. And um, uh, a rabbi told me, uh, we were having a, a discussion um, and a friend of mine, she was having a discussion with her rabbi, and she told me, she says, I'm going through a period of doubt. And he said to her, go, well, how can you have faith without doubt? And every great spiritual teacher, every great spiritual leader has gone through a period of doubt. Um, when Jesus was on the cross, according to the scriptures, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, and, and I know that that rattles a lot of people's cages when you say things like that, but if somebody on the level of Jesus was having doubt, and then Mother Teresa went through years, years of not believing in God, and, and that's all part of finding God, because if everything were easy, if everything were wonderful, then it'd be very very convenient to just believe that, yes, there's an afterlife and there's a God. So doubt and the ability to question is not a plague, it is actually the gift. It's the gift of individuality, because if we were meant to all be the same, we'd be like a school of fish. We'd be the same size, the same color, we'd react to stimuli the same way, and we'd just be this, autom you know, this, this collection of automatons that all reacted to light, dark, cold, hot, and you know, threats in, identical, in, a, in an identical way, but we're not. And so the fact that we can question, that we have doubt, that we search for answers, this is truly a gift because we grow in response to doubt and we grow and evolve in response to adversity. And without, you know, getting political or anything, look what's happening in the world right now. In this country, there's this huge uproar for change in, in the way things are handled through law enforcement, the legal system, the corporate world. And 
that that's the only way change is ever affected through the doubt, through the questioning, and for the search for a new level of understanding and enlightenment. Amen. Unfortunately, we've got a break coming up, Mark. When I when we come back from the break, I, I I'd like to have you explain to us what it's like, what it what it feels like emotionally, etc., when you do connect with the other side, and in particularly, you know, have you ever run into evil spirits? All right, we're speaking with Mark Anthony about his work and books, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go. I have both of them sitting on the desk right here. They are great reads. You can learn more about our guest and his books by visiting Evidence of Eternity. One word, evidenceofeternity.com. Okay, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Mr. Mark Anthony about his work and books, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go. You can learn more about our guest and his books by visiting Evidence of Eternity as one word, evidenceofeternity.com. All right. Every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. Music psychology, as you know by now, is an avocation of mine. It's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas. Now, your chosen music, My Sweet Lord by George Harrison Mark. Uh, tell us, why is this music important to you? But more importantly, how does it inform us about who you are? What I've always resonated of all the celebrities, and, and the thing is, the Beatles weren't my generation. I came after that. And so I got to know them more through their solo careers. And I remember I picked up the album, All Things Must Pass. And I, and I liked that. It was like, wow, nothing's permanent. And I began to listen to this album, and what I liked about it was this interfaith approach that God is God is God. And because I, I, even though I was raised in a, a Catholic environment, both of my, my parents being mediums, and my dad, uh, he came from a Baptist background, but we would have discussions at dinner that involved Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Gandhi, uh, Mother Teresa, St. Francis of Assisi, all in the, the same conversation. So I always had an interfaith approach to to connecting with the divine power that we call God. And I think that of, of all the celebrities, I think George Harrison um, really, really seemed to get that. I, I recall an interview about a year before he died, he said, you know, everybody wants to be rich and famous, and you get there, and then you realize that isn't it. And it is only through a direct connection with God that that is satisfying and that, that really fills the heart. And so that's what has resonated with me. 
because constantly, now my work is a medium album. I'm, I'm attacked by people who say I'm doing the work of demons, and they start flinging quotes at me from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But mm-hmm. the thing is, there's other passages throughout the Bible which are actually in, in favor of uh, mediumship and spirit communication, because you know, prophets, that is how people with psychic and mediumistic abilities are described in the Bible. But I've never found that the divine power that we would call God is so limited and narrow and intolerant to only be accessible through one particular belief system. So that, in a nutshell, is what is so appealing, not only about George Harrison, but also about that song, My Sweet Lord. Uh, you know, I once wrote a book about that. I called it Exclusively Fabricated Illusions because it is the exclusivity between these different religions that gives rise to losing the point of the religion in the first place. All right. I promised you that I was going to ask you after the break what it's like to connect with the other side. And have you ever encountered evil spirits or what we would call evil spirits? Well, let's start with um, let's start with communicating with the other side. Then we'll get into the negative, uh, uh, the the dark side of the force, <laughs> if you will. Okay. Please. Um, to, to me, I look at the ability that I was born with, that I am the custodian of the gift, and it is the most humbling and awesome responsibility that could have been bestowed upon me, and. When I connect with with a spirit, or or when I do a reading for somebody and I open up my brain to higher frequencies and spirits come forward, I look at myself as something as a, um, a radio. And there's a physiological basis for this, and it appears to be based upon the pineal gland in the brain because that uh, regulates our brainwave frequencies, our circadian rhythms, also... Um, Recent discoveries have found calcite magnetite crystals in it, which indicates that it generates an electromagnetic field. In short, we have a radio station in our head. So when I open up to higher frequencies and I begin to connect with spirits, it is an amazing sensation because they begin to transmit all types of information to me. I see things, hear things, know things. I get a feeling for their personality. Um, They can be very funny Um, but always immersed in love. And what I've found is that when we die, who and what we are lives on after the the death of the body. But what dies with the body are mental and physical illnesses, the angst, the, you know, neurotic, you know, neuroses, the problems. And so our consciousness, being pure energy, is free of all the physical and mental burdens of the material world. And so when they come through and communicate with me, they they bring their memories so that those things are identifiers. Because if everyone showed up playing a harp going, ah, you know, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But when they come in and tell you, this is how I died, this is what I look like, this was my favorite song, this is a shared memory between, you know, you and, and uh, you know, the, the person that I'm, I'm doing the reading for. And this physical sense, um, I often experience how the person died, and I get physical sensations throughout my body, which sometimes can be somewhat painful. There's no damage to me in a, in a cellular level. Um, I can feel whether they had a happy or a sad life, um, but 
it's kind of like being in a daydream state. So I'm aware of what's going on, and I'm observing this. Um, they're not in any way possessing me or taking over. It's more they're transferring information to me. And it can be an extremely euphoric sensation, although it is physically and mentally draining. Uh, that's why when I'm on tour, people are always wanting you know, one-on-one readings. you got to realize if I'm doing an event and there's a couple hundred people at the event and I'm connecting many folks in the audience with their loved ones, that's like asking, you know, an Olympic athlete, hey, you know, before you do the marathon, could you come by my house and run a couple miles? You know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to realize, you know, mediums, our ability is like a battery and it runs down and we got to recharge. Um, got second part of your question, have I encountered evil spirits? Um, no. I have encountered people who in this world would be, were definitely evil. Um, I've done many readings where people who were murderers and even homicidal maniacs, uh, serial killers, have stepped forward. But on the other side, they're not what you and I would consider evil because the personality traits, the mental disorders, which cause them to be these types of um, horrific personalities in this world, died with the body. Uh, When it comes to non-human spiritual intelligence, and certainly there's a lot uh, perhaps an infinite amount of beings in the, the spiritual realm, I've, I've not connected with ones that I would consider to be demonic. I think what happens is when you encounter a non-human spiritual intelligence, uh, it's like when people walk into a location that's supposedly haunted and they get cold chills and tingles. We normally associate that with fear and something terrifying, and it invokes the fight-or-flight response. Well, what happens many times is when you encounter the energy of a spirit, they are pure electromagnetic energy, and their energetic field is now interfacing with ours, and the physiological response in our body is that electro-sensation of tingles, which we immediately assume fear, fight, or flight. And that's why many times when people encounter spirits, and the unknown, uh, the, the spiritual unknown, they immediately jump to the conclusion that it's negative. Okay, I got you, but you've provoked a couple of questions. Oh, good. Uh, you know, there are there is a philosophy that I have rejected, and I want to be open-minded here, but I'm, I'm also going to be honest, that on the other side, um, folks get together, and, you know, if you're going to be Adolf Hitler, you agree to be Adolf Hitler. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to be a evil dude because uh, that way I can teach the world something. I mean, maybe forgiveness. Okay, you choose whatever. Um, and at the same time, that exists. I see, I just heard you talk about evil as organic disease, not who they were. And And, and so, first of all, I look at that and I say, what is your take on the notion that bad people in this world, what we call bad, evil, uh, serial killers, are doing that because they just made a deal on the other side. They're actually free of any, you know, necessary penance or whatever you want to call it uh, because they were living up to their deal uh, versus this, you know, idea that it's organic. I mean, that maybe be the mechanism for which these people do this? I mean, flesh that out for me. See if you can clarify it, will you? 
That's always a very difficult question because are things just cause and effect by people here in this world or like you correctly or yes, you correctly pointed out, is there a deal made on the other side before coming into this world? Um, What I've seen is that the other side is not just one big pool of happiness. There, I mean, there's, there's no hell, but there appears to be frequencies and dimensions. And so, let's say a Mother Teresa is going to go into a higher frequency than, than would a, you know, an Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden or you know, some of these horrific uh, people throughout history. But it also appears that, that the, the negativity and the evil that is in this world very well may be part of some prearranged, uh, pre, um, pre-ordination before coming into this world. I don't believe in hell. In the archetypal sense, I think that that's nothing more than mythology, although hell is very real because it exists here in the material world. And so it appears that people go through a series of incarnations and have to experience negative things in this world, like being on the receiving end of of living under a regime like ISIS or or being uh, tormented or, you know, racial discrimination and and, uh, you know, being the oppressed versus the oppressor, because it appears that we gain experiences that have a direct relationship to the frequency that when we leave this world that we go into. Now, once again, I I don't claim to, I'm a medium, I'm not the Messiah, and I don't claim to, to have the definite answer, but this is what I have gleaned from the thousands of readings that nothing which happens to any of us is random, that everything is a form of synchronicity, that we are in a particular place at a particular time for a reason. And sometimes those reasons and what happens to us are are not very pleasant, at least from our material world perspective. So I think that's the best way that I can answer that. I got you. But it also suggests that there's a limit to what we know as free will. And a lot of the research today, you know, particularly the neural research, fMRI technicians will know what you're going to decide three to, well, six seconds is the average before you actually decide that. So there's this whole question about do we really have free will uh, since everything seems to be, it, it seems to exist in the unconscious, and it is the unconscious that's telling the conscious what to do. Well, and 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 the large part of that has to do with, you know, our entire enculturation process and the, the primacy of of certain experiences and the biology of it all. And so we see inherited characteristics, including criminality. Uh, you know, I guess it all sounds to me like foreordination, not free will. It could be a combination of that, too, and we could also be placed into a situation where we choose what we do. And the reason that I say that, Eldon, is in near-death experience research. And, and when I was, when I was um, four, I had an NDE, and that, that's a whole other show, um, but in... There's the life review. In other words, people um, die, and they their consciousness separates from the body, and they they may get a floating sensation, and then they're drawn through a tunnel through the light. But there's also, and then, then they encounter loved ones uh, that who are deceased. 
but there's also the life review, the proverbial my life flashed through before my eyes. And in 5% of the cases, five, maybe as much as 10, because it's more openly discussed now, there's the hellish NDE, where, which is more properly termed the distressing near-death experience, where people, um, basically, their life review, it comes back like, you know, you've made some really bad choices, and you could go to this really negative realm. And it, it appears that we're multidimensional beings in that when you talk about the unconscious world, that could be the, the connection that we have to the collective consciousness, which is saying that those free will decisions that you have made are negative, and you're being given another chance to get it right. And that's why it's a near-death experience, because they come back. So it appears to be a combination. There's a day we're coming in, day we're going out, and what we do in between those days is what we have control over. And certainly there's always the temptation or the opportunity to do something negative. It also appears to be the dichotomy between the material world and the spiritual world. In other words, the finite versus the infinite. Whenever we do something negative or hurtful to another person, it's based purely in ego. It's all about me, me, me. It's what I want. You're only thinking of yourself. Whereas mm-hmm. when you do good and, and are altruistic and compassionate and loving towards other people, you're not thinking of yourself. You're putting the interests of others. And so that's the proverbial material world versus the spiritual, the finite versus the infinite. And in between those is the free will that we're given, which one we're going to embrace. Gotcha. All right. During the break, my email, the website, lit up with people that wanted to know if you were going to do live on-air readings. And during that break, I asked Ravinder, um, did you discuss this with Mr. Anthony? And she said, yes, he's, he's perfectly willing to do that. Well, we don't normally do that. Um, perhaps you'd be willing to come back another time and do some of that. But in honor of my pretty bride, Ravinder, uh, she lost her brother last week. And so she wanted to ask you if you could connect with him. Ravinder, you're live. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I would like to hear anything you have to say. Well, let me open up to frequency, and here's the thing, Ravender. When mm-hmm. I open up to frequency, sometimes the person that you want to talk to the most may not be the first one in, so other okay. people that you know may come through first. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I am getting a male energy coming through for you, but let's not jump to the conclusion that it's him just yet. All right, what I'm getting with him is I'm getting these, this electrical sensation getting like these tingles and shocks on my tongue. And I know what this sensation means to me. This indicates that there could have been either a neurological issue going on with him, however, uh, which could mean like a stroke, but it could also be a seizure um, or some type of convulsions prior to passing. And the reason that I'm saying this is when I was um, a young child, I went into convulsions, and I remember there was this metallic taste in my mouth and this electrical sensation, and spirits access that. Um, So what I'm getting with this male energy is that prior to passing, there was some type of convulsions or neurological issue, um, tasting a very bitter sensation in my mouth, and uh, that also indicates that he may have been under a lot of um, medications. 
uh, not necessarily illegal. It could be, you know, uh, legal medications. Um, I'm also getting with him this inflammation in my lungs, my uh, bronchial tubes, and uh, my sinuses um, are really feeling inflamed. So prior to this male's passing, I'm getting that there was a lot of difficulty breathing. All right, I'm going to stop at this point. Does any of this resonate with you? Having the difficulty with breathing does. Okay. All right. Um, Stand by. The other thing I'm getting with him is this was not some unexpected um, event. It feels... From, from his perspective, that he knew that uh, the end was coming. He wasn't exactly thrilled, you know, that it was. But I'm also getting that your brother was a man of great practicality and that he accepted reality, and he knew what was going on. And he also wants you to know that when he, he transitioned from this world, he was, he was okay with that. He was okay with that. And he was ready to go. And he keeps talking about the day of the week, Tuesday, 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 Tuesday. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it last Tuesday, but there could be a Tuesday. For example, my father died on a Saturday. That's a Saturday I'll never forget. But he keeps telling you Tuesday, Tuesday. So I don't know if there's a particular Tuesday which would leap out at you. There was a Tuesday right before he passed that everyone thought he was going to pass, and he didn't, and it was, yeah. Okay, so see, there's that Tuesday, and... Did he like to dance? A little bit. Well, he's going ha-cha-cha, ha-cha-cha. I mean, I know it sounds funny, but he's dancing around, and he's, he says he feels great, okay? And he also said that, um, now, I know pretty much everyone's got rings, but he's holding up a ring and extending it to you. So this could be a ring that either he had or a ring of great significance that you would recognize. And the thing is, I don't see anything really fancy about this ring. It just seems like uh, pretty much a plain, like a, you know, plain metal metal band. There was a ring that was significant to him, but it was fancy too. It was what? It was very fancy. Very it was expensive. Fancy. It was, it was the type, it was a, That's it was okay. a present from my father. That's okay, because the one he's showing me is, is just sort of a, you know, kind of he goes, it's a plain Jane ring, is what he's saying. And now he's holding up a ruby. Interesting. Rubies are um, the birthstone for the month of July. This could indicate a significant birth, death, anniversary, or event connected to you or him or someone close to the two of you within the month of July. Um, and it's beautiful. I mean, I'm seeing this ruby, and it's just shining, and he says he delights in this. Yeah, I'm just not familiar with that. I was actually estranged from my brother. That's okay, because you know what? After the reading, there's a period of time that I refer to as the unfolding, and it can take hours, days, weeks, and even longer for the full impact of the reading to make sense to you. But here's my question. Is there some significant event connected to you in the month of July? I don't think so. Oh, there will be. There's something, because he keeps laughing about this. He goes, this is good. This is good. Okay, hold on. He also explains to me that the the rift or the estrangement between you and him, 
it appears he's he's taking the blame for that one. He's saying that this rests more heavily on him. Does that make sense to you? It does. Okay. Um, I don't want to use this kind of language on the uh, on the air, but he says sometimes I could be a real blank bone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First letter starts with the letter A. Okay. So so he said I, I could be a real you know, um, and he's he's explaining to me that you're always patient and. And no matter how uh, emotionally charged or acerbic he could be, he's explained to me, Ravender, that you always replied with love and with compassion. He said, you, you got it right. You got it right. And so he wants to thank you for, for inviting him to reach out to you. Um, the interesting thing with Ruby, it could also be a name like Ruby or Rudy. Also, um, the month July could be a female name like Julie, Okay. But there is something about a ruby or a word or a name that sounds similar to ruby because he is not letting that one go. And the other thing is he's popping me now over to the month of January. Um, is there any significance with you in the month of January? No. I'm going to have to stop you there, Mark, because we're just coming right up on the clock. But I can tell you what, you have my wife in tears. And her brother passed from a very complicated heart failure. So some of the other things that you were describing, they could very well have accompanied his death. Um, you know, we're going to need to bring you back. You willing to come back? It would be my honor and pleasure to come back. Um, I, I, you know, I can't believe the hour is gone. It feels like I've been talking to a couple of really good friends about the, the topics that I enjoy. So I well, that's great. Back. We'll have you back. I'll have Rav set it up. All right, we are out of time. Go get the book, Evidence of Eternity, and the book, Never Letting Go. I want to thank you, Mark, all of you out there. Until next time, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.